0: You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. My name is Michael. Thanks so much for that reading, for the songs, and you all sounded, you all sounded really good today. That's pretty good. Uh, enthusiastic singing, so I love that. Uh, I want to pray in just a second. Um, thank you for being here. Thanks for taking time to to sit under God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for the gift of your people gathered. Let us be a, a, a people who uh, reflect the love that you give to us. And today, as we sit under your word, and even as we declared it together we are uh, sitting under your word and, and hearing words and, and singing a song that's, that's millennia old, 3,000 years. And so, thanks for the work of uh, your spirit to preserve these words. And today, would you just shape us into the people that you desire us to be through your word, not by my power, but by yours Thank you for your goodness and your grace, and thank you most of all that your steadfast love endures forever above all, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so there is this reality that that shapes every person in this room and, and every person on this planet, and, and it's something like this. How and when we receive or don't receive genuine, trusted Love has a way of shaping the way that we think about everything, the way that uh, the the things that we pursue, the love that we hold, the love that we give, or the love that we reject. I remember hearing these concepts, um, you know, educational psychology at Wright State University, and I remember like processing some of this stuff a long time ago. And, and what, uh, what I learned is, that, is this reality, that, that we begin learning trust or mistrust by, by 18 months old. And there are stages in this stuff, as psychologists would tell us, but, but, but trust or mistrust is kind of cemented by the age of 12. And that's kind of a big deal. And, and what it means is that it can be difficult to overcome when our ability to trust has been conditioned by the lack of consistent love, right? What I mean is, some have never had a trusted love. You've never experienced that. Not not from the time you were a, a baby on up. You, you've never had a trusted love and therefore you don't trust and you won't love. And And some have been trained by mistrust to the point to where you, you run from love, whether that's a parent, uh, foster adoption situation, relationships, mate, spouse, uh, friendships, you can't receive love because you've, you've been trained not to trust love. Now others, they, they might swerve another way. And, and w- we long for love so much that we give ourselves away to a thousand lovers, None of which give you an ounce of the value, of the worth, of the respect, of the adoration, of the care, of the love that you are actually worth. We run from it, even when it's good and true, and we run to it, even when it only harms us. Others, man, according to this world, others know steadfast love and and you have experienced however imperfectly a love in this life that has taught you what a trustworthy loving relationship is like for for those of us we have have another ditch of caution to be mindful of and it's that we would we would become numb to the goodness of trustworthy love to the point to where we would take it for granted regardless of where This or any of that meets you, just on the front end, you are, as they say, more than the worst, and you are more than the best parts of your past. It doesn't mean that we can't change, it doesn't mean that we can't be transformed by a love, by trust, by truth that's greater than our experience, by a love that is beyond this world. And, and wouldn't you know it, for all the imperfect ways the world proves itself by love, there is a love beyond this world. It is the essence of love, and it isn't an add-on to his life. It isn't something that he gets right half of the time, or three-quarters of the time, or seven-eighths of the time, or ninety-nine-one-hundredths of the time. It's not something that that he has to learn or grow into, but he is, in fact, love itself. That's what the Bible teaches us about our God, the God that we've read about, that we've prayed to, that we've sang about, that that we've sang to. And this is what we get to know today, that God's steadfast love endures forever above all. And if we behold that, like really grab onto that reality, we won't be able to stop ourselves from giving thanks and and from singing heartfelt songs of love and gratitude, not just with the melodies of our lips, but with all of our life. So today as we continue this Advent series, Give Thanks, we're looking at Psalms of Gratitude, Today we're looking at Psalm 136 and there are kind of three movements of this psalm and I, I kind of have thought of it this way. Uh, there may be kind of like three panels of a quilt that are, that are woven together with the threads of love because that's what's happening. There are kind of three big movements but love is the thing that's tying all of this together and, and what we see is we get to do this, give thanks that God's love, firstly, separates him alone as God. There is none like him. That's what the psalmist wants us to see. And we'll start in 136 verse 1 through 3. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Forever, give thanks to the Lord of Lords, for His steadfast love endures forever. Maybe you can help me out by filling in the blank here. Uh, there was a farmer had a dog, and something was its name. Oh, bingo. Bing, bingo! Nailed it. Right. <laughs> That's my version of Doug's G.K. Chesterton quote. <laughs> all right. Repetition is a, is a tutor. It is a teacher. It is a tool. And, and this, the psalmist knows, and the, the church has been learning about this God that, that loves us and that, that, that his love endures forever for a long, long time. There, there's something about a kind of love that slashes through all the imposters of this world. Like I've told my kids many, many times, uh, you won't find a love like you have here and now from your mom and dad, right? And I know that's imperfect, but, but no one loves like a caring parent. There, there's this example in scripture that's talking about the wisdom of Solomon who wrote some of these Psalms, and he's king, and, and these two women uh, they're they're living in the same house and they both have children and, and one of the babies dies at night and the other mom claims the other one as her own and and there's no uh, DNA testing during that time and so they go before the 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 judge Solomon and, and they're both demanding that this is their child and and he says well here's what we'll do we'll we'll cut the baby in half and give uh, each of you half and one of them says great and the other one says by God, no. Let her have him. And Solomon says, this is the mother, right? And so that helps us see the the love of a mom, but but here's the thing. No one loves like a caring parent, and and no one loves like a a committed spouse. You think of the love that, that on a wedding day when someone presents vows to one another and the things that they say and we know that it's hard we know that it's muddy and it's not always perfect but but two become one and there's this sacrificial love one for another laying down your life for one another no one loves like a a caring parent no one loves like a, a committed spouse no one loves like a dear friend and in this room gosh I am encouraged regularly of the way that you guys friend one another and the way that you care for one another. And yet each of those unique yet imperfect uh, relationships, they, they, uh, uh, parent, children, spouse, friends, they all love, but with a layer of thinking and feeling and living that is flawed from the fabric of life. It's, it's, we say it this way, that it's fallen. That in the third chapter of this book, you know, all hell breaks loose and it breaks everything. It breaks the relationship between uh, Adam and Eve and the Lord and Adam and Eve and one another and Adam Adam and Eve in all of creation. So, so as it were, we are stained as we are children of Adam as we come into this world. We are stained by sin and its work so we can love deeply but imperfectly. And we can endure steadfastly but with limits. But, but God, this God that we have read about already even today, He's not like us. And here we learn of this God of love. He is capable of something that no other being is. And it's this perfect, enduring love. Give thanks, for his steadfast love endures forever. And what this means uh, is is the the kind of the the original language? This this word for steadfast love it refers to the covenant commitment and loyal faithful love that originates in God and is resolutely expressed toward His people. That means that 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 this type of love comes from the one who is love, God Himself. Steadfast. What does that mean? It means continually love what does that mean you know we have no idea but the deepest affection and desire for ultimate good The deepest desire and affection for ultimate good endures. What does that mean? It means that it doesn't fail, even when it's opposed and when it's difficult. I think of not me, but someone else doing like a Tough Mudder or like a triathlon. And you just imagine swimming or biking or or rowing or whatever it is, running, and you just can't go on. There's nothing left in your legs, and yet you go on. And you go. And, and that's the type of endurance that, that this love from our God has. How long? Forever. It, it, it doesn't cease. And the heart behind all of this is, is it's conveying un, the, the unceasing nature of God's commitment over the course of Israel's history to his people. He is loyal to them even when they are not loyal to him. And it turns out that God's people of old, they, this isn't true just for us today in this room, God's people of old knew a bit about disappointment, they knew a bit about of uh, what it looked like to live a tough life. They knew a bit about what it felt like to struggle to find enduring love, yet they had love from above, whose nature was unlike any in, in, in everything else. And the psalmist, as he pins these words through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, strikes up the chorus to remind them, then, to remind us here. Now, of God's nature against all others. And this is what he says. He says that he, unlike any other, is good. God is good. There's nothing like our good God. He is the standard for goodness. And all that is good flows through his nature. And because he is outside of sin, this rings true even when we can't see it. God isn't some good among other goods. He is, he is good from his essence in the core of his being. He is good. He goes on, he is the God of gods. All right, you think Marvel, cinematic universe, right? Who is the most powerful? It's not even a question. He is the God of gods. Literally, it communicates that, that he is supreme over all foreign deities, he is the, the God of gods, and these are things that we, that we pray, like, oh God, you are the God, you are good, and you are the God of all gods, and you are the Lord of all lords, and we have no idea what we're saying. And the psalmist is saying, no, this really matters when you say those things. If those things are true, that changes something. He is the God of all gods. And what that means is that, that he, he's not one God among many gods. He is God of all gods. None can stand against him. None can thwart him. None can slow him. None can challenge him. It means this, that, that if you've ever seen, uh, I don't know, a dad arm wrestle a child, it, it always looks the same. There's a template for what that looks like. And I, you can bet that the dad's going to struggle at first, Right? <laughs> Right? And it looks like this. And he's like, oh, what am I? Oh, you're so, t- what am I going to do? And then it always ends the same way. It has to. And if you're a father who lets your son, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> talking. you. But, but think about the, the infinite power in, in the dad's arm compared to the, to the son, to the child. So... We don't know why. This brings about certain challenges, certainly to our, our minds. like why there, there's mystery in that formula, but we see it in, in the hand of the Lord. And it may look like he's losing, but, but he waits in his perfect timing, in his perfect justice and his perfect goodness, because He is good, because He is God, all that he does is perfect for His glory and for our good. Right? And we, we read this in, in Romans, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And is there mystery in that? You, you better believe there's mystery in that. And when you figure out the ways of God perfectly here on this earth, you're in a, a really difficult place. Right? Because he's God and, and, and we're not. He is the Lord of lords that communicates God's power over not only the, the human sphere, right? Yes, yes, my Lord, right? You, you have those uh, hierarchies even within a town or within a family, but, but also the spiritual realm. He is all powerful and all good and that understandably illuminates some of the most difficult questions that humanity can ask. And maybe you're going where I'm going. Jesse Eisenberg, Lex Luthor, Batman versus Superman. He says the thing that puts this on display, that puts the question on display. He says, I figured it out way back. He's talking to Superman, right? He is Superman's enemy. He says, If God is all powerful, he cannot be all good. And if he's all good, then he cannot be all powerful. And this is what he says to Superman, and neither can you be. They need to see the fraud that you are. Well, the only difference is the God we read about is all powerful and he is all good. And unlike Superman or as good as Clark Kent may be, the Lord is no fraud at all. And he isn't some crooked, unequipped, wizard flicking light switches when the curtain's drawn. He's the realest deal, that's the God that, that we serve. And, and you know, like in this life, rareness is, is something that increases value. And I don't mean the way that you cook your meat or don't cook your meat. I mean I mean like the idea of, of one of one. Like you think about Beanie Babies and there was only one of these things made or, or 12 of these things or, or cars or you think of shoes or memorabilia or the Mona Lisa or the Rosetta Stone or the Dead Sea Scrolls or, or Hope Diamond. One of one is invaluable and there is none like our God. No ultimate good, no ultimate God, no ultimate king, no ultimate Lord like him. And here's the kicker. He longs for you. It's not just this thing in a museum where you think, oh man, if I could just, you know, if I could just see that, or if I could just hold that. He says, through his word, through his son, here I am, I am yours, and you can be mine. So we are stirred to give thanks for God's love, which separates him alone as God in the invitation for us. His steadfast love endures forever above all. And what we get to know today is we get to know him. And that takes us to the second point, which is this. Uh it displays his beauty through creation. We get to give thanks that God's love displays his beauty through creation. Let me read this, Psalm 136. I want to read uh, through four through nine. To him who alone does great wonders, to him who by understanding made the heavens, to him who spread out the earth above the waters, to him who made the great lights, The sun to rule over the day, the moon and the stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. And the invitation give thanks to the one who flung the stars and who hung the sun and the moon. This is why the beauty of nature can take our minds to spiritual places bigger than just the here and the now. and, and there's, there's nothing quite like feeling small. And I imagine this meant something for the hearers then, 3,000 years ago, to consider uh, the, the stars and the sun and the moon. And that, that meant something for them. But, but think about what it means for us. And, you know, we're, we're, uh, it's, it's different today, but equally great. And, you know, we're such a big deal now. Like, we can do just all the things compared to them, right? And and humans are really good at going big or going home, and there are great man-made things on this planet. And the fact that we can send satellites into space is incredible. And, like, I'm a tech guy, right? I, I'm not afraid of AI and the end of the earth. Like, I'm well aware that that's our impending doom. I'm just kidding. That's not true. Maybe, or whatever, right? But, like, honestly, you look at Tower of, of, of Babel stuff, and you think, they built a tall tower and and God came down to them and he says, man, what what can't man do? And you look at, you know, humanity now and you're like, dang, we're like a big deal. But gosh, I don't know if you've ever seen these, these pictures that are like bajillions of megapixels of whatever. And it's like, right here is the Milky Way galaxy and you can't even see it. And we're like, like, look at us. Look how great we are. We send, we can get, we can get uh, photos from like this far across the Milky Way galaxy. Look how great we are. And you don't even show up on the map. All the greatness of man, it doesn't even show up in the tiny little picture that we took. That's bajillions and bajillions of light years wide. It doesn't even show up. Man-made things are great. Gosh, we do a lot of really great things. But, but compared to the Lord's creation, it doesn't even show up on the map. You, you are not even a, a, a pixel. The, the, the Milky Way galaxy is not even a pixel in the vast landscape of creation. And we bang our chest, and we talk about how great we are. See, seeing things beyond us captivates us in grand ways. The Grand Canyon. I mean, why is it called that? It's like a, it's a grand thing, right? It's a big hole. It's incredible. And I've flown over it. Never stood on the the edge of it, but I imagine, gosh, breathtaking and all the things. And 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 you see things like beaches, and you go and. And, and and you just you're, you're captivated by just the fact that like as far as you can see just nothing but waves crashing in and, and sunsets and and like the this, this sheer beauty. I remember the first time seeing the beach. I was five years old, and I remember my dad. Like he hadn't been to the beach, I don't know, maybe ever. And I remember like. Him almost, like, tearing up, like, boys, boys, look. Like, look, it's, like, you know, it's just, like, the greatest thing you've ever seen because it makes you feel small. I remember being a a child sleeping in the back of a truck in the mountains in Tennessee, like, in the back of the truck, like, the stars are up there. And I just remember being, I I don't know, six years old and seeing shooting stars, like, every two seconds and thinking, how is this even, like, what is happening right now? Little six-year-old me, like, breath. I remember being in California just this past summer with the kids and just seeing the beauty of the coastline and all those things and like, gosh, what a beautiful thing. There's something to be said of the beauty of divine nature and, and, and in fact, it is one of the ways that God reveals himself. There are two primary ways that, that smart people, right, theologians try to categorize the way that God reveals himself. And the first one is this, the general revelation. It's the way that God reveals himself to all everywhere through nature. And in fact, in Romans chapter 1, Paul, he tells us this about creation. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power And divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So he's saying, as God is on full display, open your eyes and be accountable. That's wild. And Then the other, the other side of that is, is special revelation. It's not just, man, there must be a God. Look how beautiful this is. But, but special revelation is the specific truths about God revealed supernaturally, the Holy Spirit using the prophets and the apostles to bring the word, and ultimately Jesus uh, in, incarnated in the flesh as life, as death, as resurrection. And we get to view all of that as an opportunity to know God who has made himself known the psalmist here sings of this general revelation of the fullness of God. He made the heavens and he sculpted the earth against the waters and he hung the great lights, the sun by day, the moon and stars by night. And see, we're still enamored with with hanging stars. Like Rudolph, you ever see that? The, the, The bumble at the end with no teeth. What does he do? He puts the star on top. And I don't know about your situation at home, but my situation at home, putting the star on the Christmas tree, it's a big deal so much that every single year, the same thing plays out. And here's what happens. Everyone's putting stuff on there, and Kim's tree, no one's touching that. It's Kim. <laughs> there's another tree. There's, they're sprouting everywhere in our house, but there's this one. It's our family tree, all Right. Put all this stuff on it, and it's time to like put that in. And every single time, you know it's going to happen. Titus says... I'm pretty sure last year, I did it, so this year is year's my turn. Every year, he says that. Every single year. And every year, I says, you said that last year, right? Every single year. And usually what happens is Titus makes an attempt, and it's, and, then I, and I just give me, what, right? And by the end, it's some crooked uh, thing at the time. And like, here's the reality. Our creation, and in comparison to the Lord's, is, is us putting a star on top of a tree, a, a, a crooked tree, slumped over and probably sh- getting ready to short out, right? That's what our creative power looks like next to the, the the beauty and the majesty of this God that we can know, right? For those of you who are here, we do a, a worship night twice a year where we just come in and we sing, we pray, we scatter out in our little stations and and uh, Angie, Dickin, and and Kia and Matt and some others helped put that stuff together. And in this last time, we were invited to behold the the holiness of God. And one of the scenes was in the huddle room, um, and and there were pictures of you know from the James not of the James Webb, Webb telescope. But those are less impressive pictures from the James Webb telescope. And you know the fingers of God on the screens and printed out, and and we see stars and solar systems and galaxies. And we're reminded of this reality in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And look, you can call me crazy, but, but I believe, and, and it's so often misguided, but humanity's thirst for grandness, the oceans below, the skies above, it is a thirst to behold Something or someone greater than anything this world can offer. And in all of this, the chorus reminds us that it is his love which endures forever, that splatters the paint of a universe so intricate and so elaborate and so magnificent and so unbelievable that, that the mighty hand of his works and, and yet such a personal love that he doesn't stay out there, but he draws near and even takes up residence among us as one of us in the person Jesus. So, so what Well, we get to give thanks that he has made himself known. And one way he does that is by letting us live inside the canvas of his creative majesty. So what? Well, we get to do two things. We get to pursue his nature by being around his nature. Go outside. Look up. Take a hike. Look at something real. I I, I dare you to do that. I dare you to do that as a pattern of life. Be small at the foot of a mountain. Be small under a crashing wave of the ocean. And when you do that, don't let that lead you to to worship the creation. But, But secondly, delight in his Nature by letting those snippets of beauty capture your gaze to the one who holds all things in his hands, the one who flung the stars, the one who guides by moon and sun, twinkles in the night. That's not grandma watching over you. But it is the vast splendor of God's love on Earth display. Don't let the the good things of God cause you to worship creation, but let them cause you to worship the creator. So we are stirred to give thanks for God's love, which makes his creation sing his name in the invitation. His steadfast love endures forever above all, so we can trust him today. And the third thing is this. We get to give thanks that God's love motivates his power to save and sustain. After scoring his career high 69 points in March 1990, the legendary Michael Jordan wasted no time in proclaiming it as the greatest game of his career. Michael Jordan, 69 points in one game. It's pretty good. However, this memorable moment would not have been possible without the contribution of another player, rookie Stacey King of the Chicago Bulls. At least that's what King would later tell reporters. He stated it. Uh, he, he said, the rookie just couldn't resist taking credit for his role in this historic performance. Michael Jordan, 69 points. Stacey King on the court. And this is what Stacey King, this is the way he told this story afterwards. I'll always remember this as the night That Michael Jordan and I combined to score 70 points. (laughs) I love that. When we take credit for God's work to save and sustain us, this is us, It's, it's comically insufficient. See, for the first 10 years of my life in Christ, and, and, and sometimes still today, I, I co-stamped God's work to save me with my own contribution. Like, in my mind, it would be like, okay, God saves, absolutely. Like God's grace is sufficient, amen. Easter is awesome, yes, it is. Right? Christ on the cross is the foundation of my life, Amen. But what I actually believed was that my works, my good, my contribution, it, it earned or, or at best kept my eternal life. I don't know if you ever feel that way. My, my attempt to please God, to, to do the good things that God requires for us to enter into his kingdom and, and to be with him forever and to, to, to gain eternal life. My attempt to do that is infinitely less significant than one point on the way to 70. Like the works of your hands, the, the goodness that you, th- like <clears throat> the idea of like how could, could God send good people to, to hell or, or whatever, we are, we are blinded to think that we are good, and you might be sitting there thinking, well, that doesn 't sound right like she 's great and i 'm really but but just in comparison to to the holiness and the beauty and the splendor and the the perfect goodness of god we we are we are far less than one point on the way to seventy so the psalmist he shows us god 's work, and, and I just want you to remember this i 've been saying this week after week, and each of these psalms point back to the exodus, to, to God's rescue plan. And what I want you to know is what when we read the Old Testament, if it's after the exodus, after God pulled his people out of captivity in Egypt, that is salvation, right? And they knew that there was a, a greater Savior coming. They knew that there would be a king who, whose children would be as numerous as the stars, and they knew that this would happen, but they didn't they didn't know that it would be Christ on a cross they didn't know what that would look like and and, and in fact the 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 psalms themselves are are actually five books put together compiled and and as I understand it, the first two are, are kind of before the Exodus, and the last three books are after the Exodus. And so here we are, we're on the back end. There are only 150 psalms, and we're in 136. So we're looking back at what God has done, and this is what the psalmist shows us. He is the God who, who saves, he rescues, he led his people to freedom from Pharaoh when they were held captive in, in Egypt. And there's a long story in that, but basically God's people were a part of of Egypt under Egypt's kind of thumb, as it were, and, and God spoke to Moses, and he's like, hey, I need you to do some things, and Moses is like, I can't, and, and ultimately, he's having conversations with, with Pharaoh, and, and they said, hey, can we go away to worship our God for a couple days, and he's like, yeah, no, right, and you're just like, what is happening, and ultimately, God shows up, and he's like, okay, I will be taking that now, and by that, he meant his people. Right? He will save them. And, and here's what he did. He struck down the firstborn. He brought plagues upon Egypt, only Egypt, but he spared God's people. And he brought Israel from among them with a strong hand and outstretched, outstretched arm. Miraculously, he divided the Red Sea so Israel could walk through as they pleased on dried land. Oh gosh, we're at the our enemy is drawing near. There's only water in front of us. What are we gonna do? <laughs> And they walked through it. And Pharaoh and his army and the chariots, they said, hey, let's follow them. And when they did that, the waves crashed down, or as the psalmist says, but he overthrew Pharaoh and his armies by crashing the waters upon them. And every step of the way, it was God's steadfast love that endured. And it was his steadfast love that enabled them to endure. And we keep reading. It wasn't just that he saved them, that he rescued them, but, but he sustains them. In verse 16, we, we read, after he rescued, he sustained them. He led his people. He struck down kings. He killed mighty kings. Think about it. They're, they're kind of a relatively large group of people with no home of their own. Wandering in the desert following the Lord or Moses or themselves. And yet God led them and he struck down the king of the Amorites and others and he gave their land as heritage to Israel. He remembered in their low estate, they had nothing to offer, nothing to protect them. He rescued them from their foes. He provided food for them, quail and manna. God provided with no contribution from his people. And so what this psalm is is singing is not only the greatness of God and his mighty works, but, but the driving influence for God's power is that he is moved by his great love for his people that he might save and sustain them. And the plan all the while was that despite sin and rebellion, God was making a people for himself. The whole storyline of this book, God is making a people for himself, above all, for all time. His steadfast love endures forever. And because of that, we get to give thanks that his love separates him alone. As God, we get to give thanks that his love displays his beauty through creation. We get to give thanks that his love motivates his power to save and to sustain them and us. see, those aren't the only ways that God has put his love on display, right? He, he may not have known it at the time, but, but the psalmist here was paving a path of melody that leads to the greatest display of love the world has ever seen. And you might say it like this, his steadfast love endures forever forever and in 1 John chapter 4 we get to see a little about that this was after the exodus after Jesus came after he died and he's he's uniting his people together and this is what we read in this the love of God was made manifest among us It, it showed up that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him his steadfast love endures forever. And, and this is love, not that we have loved God. See, it's not about what you do for him, but it's what he has done through us and, and for us. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation, right? To, to pardon us, to, to please God for our sins on our behalf, and his steadfast love endures forever. Beloved, if, uh, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And he says, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And in another place, the same John writes, the Gospel of John chapter 1 he starts off and he goes back to this kind of creation account. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And all these things, he's setting up Jesus in the incarnation that, that him coming as a child, growing into a man, being our Savior. And he says no one has ever seen God. And then he says God has made himself known. So what does any of this Mean for us, it means this: it means that we get to receive the love of God. And for some of you, that might be hard. You might say that's impossible. And and yet, that's the offer: that we could receive the love of God if you've never have in your entire life, if never, if if late, if if lacking. God's love crashes through walls and his, his spirit rebuilds us as we know, as we trust, and as we treasure him above all. God is the one who can restore your faith. He is the one that overcomes all the failure, all the hurt, all the disappointment of this world. And he is the one who, if you are willing to give your life, give your heart, give all that you are to trust and to treasure him above all. He will flood you with a love that heals old wounds, that restores new joy and gives life to you today and forever. That's the offer. The second thing is is we get to give thanks for the way God has loved. One of the prophets of the day Rivers Cuomo from Weezer, he says this, I just love this, he says, even Da Vinci couldn't paint you, Stephen Hawking can't explain you, Rosetta Stone could not translate you, I'm at a loss for words, I couldn't put it in a novel, I wrote a page but it was awful, now I just want to sing your gospel, I'm at a loss for words he's singing about a girl like okay but what if if we get the lord there are no words to say we have no choice but to live a joyful life of gratitude We get to give thanks for the way God has loved. We get to finally, we get to love God freely and we get to love others deeply because of his love for us. See, see just as God flung the stars to capture us with his love and just as he reached down and, and snatched his own from captivity in Egypt by his love, That same love sent his son, Jesus, motivated by the same love, willingly came on mission to show us a a love that has never been known. And it changes everything about our ability to give and receive love, to know this love, to know a love that endures forever. And, And what that means is we get to redeem love. Children who haven't known love Get to be friends and maybe spouses and maybe parents who live out the comfort of love from, from the way that we get to love others. Knowing this love changes how we give, changes how we receive love from anyone and everyone. The band can come on up, and, and, and that love endures forever above all, no matter what, for all who believe in the one who saves. That is how God's love shapes our love. By showing us true love that we might give love. We get to respond today. You can sit right where you are. Listen to the songs that that they sing. You can sit and sing. You can stand up and sing. Join the chorus of gratitude for God's love. You can pray over there by that prayer bench. You can go over there and, and, and meet someone by that red tree over there. They would love to pray with you about anything, right? Anything at all. Like the, the, uh, God's Word tells us to cast our cares upon Him because He cares for us. That means we get to pray about anything that we're dealing with. If you're in Christ, then the invitation is that we get to share a meal that reminds us and declares the good news of what Christ has done for us. And so we take the the bread and the drink, uh, the cup, and we do that as a reminder of the body of Jesus that was broken, the blood of Jesus that was spilt, so that we might be able to fellowship, to interact with, to be a part of the family of God. And so those are the invitation that we offer you today. There will be some questions on the screen, and and honestly, we do this week after week after week so that this word doesn't just sit dormant in our heads or in our hearts, but that we can legitimately reflect and repent. That means turn from, receive, respond, and rejoice in the work of God through his word. Would you pray with me? God, God, thanks for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that you are good and and God of all gods and Lord of all lords and that you fling stars to show us your love, that you saved your people of old from Egypt and in this room even today. You desire to save and to sustain us from sin's grip. Would you let us turn to you today? Would you break down walls for people who, who are unable to receive the love that you have today? Would you let them Put all that they are, all that they have in your hands, trusting your love for them because of the work of Jesus on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen.